lives. Father God, thank you that today you are good. And Lord, we get to come into your presence. And Lord, thank you we've been just worshipping you, Lord, in the middle of this city. God, and Jesus, your name is being lifted high. And so, Father, come and meet with us today, we ask. Lord, you know every single person in this place, God. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us. You know what we need to hear, God. You know where we're at, God. Lord, and so come and move in this place. Holy Spirit, we welcome you, God. May our hearts be receptive to you. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, God. Open our hearts, God, to know more and more about you, God. Help us to know you more. Help us go deeper with you. Lord, change our lives today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, just wondering, has anyone ever studied William Shakespeare at school? Or a few people? I know we're all so excited about it. It was a highlight of our childhoods. Um, but at school, I studied Romeo and Juliet and uh, Macbeth, and they were all right. Um, but William Shakespeare wrote a, a play on the life and the assassination of Julius Caesar. Uh, he was a Roman emperor. And uh, at one point in his life, he had, he had a guy called Brutus in his life, one of his best friends, one of his most trusted advisors, um, even sort of his own adopted son. And yet Julius Caesar was betrayed by the Senate, by his government, and he saw into the crowd of assassins, he saw his best friend Brutus being there. And he cries out a famous line, Etu Brute. Even Brutus had betrayed him, his best friend. And so many of us have faced hurt in our lives or people have let us down or, you know, when we were younger, maybe our parents had left us or, you know, different things have happened in our lives or we've been hurt, we've been betrayed, we've been um, let down by others. And so we're looking at a series in the book of John's Gospel about who Jesus is. And today our title is Jesus is the one who is betrayed. So I'll give you a bit of context and we'll look at John chapter 13. It's the Passover meal. You know, the Jews have all come to Jerusalem to celebrate, celebrate this. And Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. They're gathered around the table and Jesus got a special announcement, a surprising announcement for them. So let's read some of the verses. John chapter 13, starting at verse 21. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And then he had, when he had dipped it, he gave to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Dear children, I will be with you only a little while longer. As I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. Down to verse 36. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. I find this such a heartbreaking scene. These 12 men who had been with Jesus through thick and thin, 
They'd been out evangelizing. They'd been doing life together. They'd been eating together. They'd seen incredible miracles and healings together. Now one of these 12 men betrays Jesus. Judas has gone down in history as a traitor, as a betrayer, as someone who cannot be trusted. And Jesus ca- it causes Jesus great pain. Verse 21 says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. He was deeply troubled. Have you ever lost sleep over something or a situation or something that's going on in life? You're deeply troubled. So Jesus is agitated. He's filled with this, this horror of what's happening. Judas had eaten of the bread that was with the 5,000. He had been in the, uh, in the boat when Jesus had calmed the storm. He had seen Lazarus raised from the dead and now Judas is betraying Jesus. Jesus is not okay. He's deeply troubled. When betrayal happens, it's trust that's broken. You know, you've poured out your heart into someone or something. You're vulnerable. And it's been wrecked. It's one of the uglier sides of humanity. Often portrayed in films and in, and in uh, TVs with plot twists and cliffhangers. And so some of you may have experienced this personally. Today is an invitation from God to trust him with it. Have you ever served someone and they've let you down? This is what Jesus is experiencing. In those moments, have you ever asked yourself, where is God? Does he even know what I'm going through? Absolutely. He's not distant. He is with you. He cares more than you can imagine. Judas is betraying Jesus to his death. And even though Jesus knew what was happening, he still tries to reach out to Judas. So John chapter 13, verse 26, let's read a bit more. Jesus responded, It is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas. Son of Simon Iscariot, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. See, Jesus offered Judas the bread. Uh, This is something that the host of the meal would do. Jesus is here being the host. And what he's doing by doing this is that he's making Judas the honored guest the special guest at the meal. What Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to win him back. Bring him to repentance by his love and his grace. And although Jesus is being betrayed, he doesn't let his pain dictate his actions. Jesus had just bent down and washed Judas's feet. Saying, Judas, I know what you're going to do. I know it. You know it. Yeah, I love you. I love you. Wow, what an amazing picture of the grace of Jesus. At this point at the table, only Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. The other disciples had no clue. They had no idea. But even though Jesus knew of the plan, his final moments with Judas, he extended his love See, Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart. See, God knows what's in our hearts. We can't hide anything from him. We can't keep stuff in our heart, our 
our desires, all these things, things that are going on in our lives, the hurt, the betrayals in our heart, we can't actually keep them from God. He knows what's in them. God knows the most broken, dark parts about us. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the ugly. And yet his hand is extended to you to show you that he loves you. How do you respond to him? It seems that Judas isn't the only one with loyalty issues at the Last Supper. Peter has a bit of a reputation to put his foot in it, to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Maybe some of us can relate to that. Verses 36 to 38, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? Sounds like a toddler, really, isn't it? Why can't I come now, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. Jesus replied, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And we see, if you read on, that Jesus, his prediction has come, comes true. Peter denies him three times. He doesn't even know him, he says. And so Peter and Judas, they both deny Jesus. Yet one went on to great influence in the early church. And the other went into disgrace. This is what happened to Judas. Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 to 5. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. See, Judas was full of remorse. He was full of contempt. His heart was full of it. He was tormented by what he had done. And in one last effort, he tried to bring the money back and give it to the priests. He said, take it. And it's cursed money. But he could get it out of his hand, yet he could never get it out of his heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? When Jesus reached out with the bread, he was reaching out to Judas in kindness to help to lead him to repentance. But Judas had a heart issue. Judas' response to his betrayal was remorse. Yet Peter's response was one of repentance. Later on, after um, Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he comes back and he has an amazing conversation with Peter and he restores him. Let me read the passage in John chapter 21, starting at verse 3. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing, saying to the disciples. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. And so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he strip for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. Because we all put on our clothes when we go swimming. 
Verse 15, after breakfast, this is getting personal now. Remember that, that Peter had betrayed Jesus three times. He denied three times that he even knew Jesus. And Jesus comes to him. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Second time he's asked. Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know my heart. You know the good, the bad, the ugly in it. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, what Peter does is that he throws himself at the mercy of Jesus. When he was in the boat, he didn't jump out of the boat and swim away from Jesus. He jumped out of the boat and swam right towards Jesus. This is what true repentance looks like. See, we all fail. We all mess up. Uh, Well, okay, I mess up. You guys may mess up. Maybe. And so when when that happens, what's our response to that? Do we come towards Jesus or do we take things into our own hands? Hide away from him. See, Peter's mistake had been that he put too much confidence in himself and not enough confidence in God. And he's learning that his confidence is not as his own commitment, but it's in the faithfulness and the commitment of Jesus to him. You see, you didn't get saved by being so good. You didn't get saved by how great you are. That means you can't lose your salvation by what you do. See, both, Jesus, uh, both Judas and Peter, they acted pretty rubbish. You know, they, they didn't act well. They were pretty badly behaved. Yet one of them was saved and one of them wasn't. So sure, you've gone through some stuff. Maybe you've been hurt or maybe you've had hurt done to you. Or you've done hurt to others. But today, are you willing to follow him? Just like you did before. Are you willing to jump towards him rather than hide away from him? See, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Peter's greatest weakness was that, I will never deny you, God. Have you ever vowed, I'll never do that again? I'll never look at that stuff again. I'll never respond in that angry way again. And yet, so often, these attitudes come up again and again. Maybe you've broken someone's trust and you've been carrying guilt ever since. And you've wondered, however bad it's got, have you ever wondered, how can I possibly get back from that place? There is hope. Jesus extends his hand. He doesn't come with condemnation. He doesn't come with judgment to beat you up. You're already beating yourself up too much already. Actually, he's coming to bring you back to him. And the first, the first step is that repentance to turn towards Jesus, not turn away from him. See, failure isn't falling down. It isn't failing. Failure is the one who stays down. 
Verses 27 to 30. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasure, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food. Or give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. So there are two sort of applications that we want to take from this. When Judas went out, Jesus didn't chase after him. Jesus wasn't, you know, come back. Is it something I said? What's something I did? Jesus let Judas go. He didn't run after him. And so for some of us, we are holding on to hurt, onto pain, onto something that's happened. And this is what I believe God wants us to do today, is to let it go. And when God's saying, let it go, he's not disregarding your pain. He's not saying that pain doesn't matter. He's not saying it wasn't painful. But when Judas leaves, Jesus turns his full attention to the other 11. One left, yet 11 remained. And so when we focus on our heart, we miss out on what we do have. If you're focusing on someone who's left you or betrayed you, you won't see who's still faithful and still committed. If you look at what you've lost, you won't see what you've got left. Let it go. And the second one is this. Your timing is significant. Judas leaves and he goes out into the night. Judas's heart is closed and against the light and is open to darkness. He turns to darkness. See, it's always night when the people of God run with their own agendas. Don't make decisions when you're in a hard place, in a difficult place, in a dark place. See, what Judas does is that he withdraws from the community of believers and he goes out into the night. He goes out into the dark on his own. Bad move. Nothing ever good comes from that for him. And this is for us, would we make a fresh commitment to be community in the church, in good times and in bad times? So many people go out in the dark. You know, you don't see people for, for weeks or months. Life gets busy, facing challenges, I understand. But don't withdraw from the church when things are difficult and tough. So let's zoom out a little bit. We see that, that Judas and Peter and many of the disciples are letting Jesus down. They've betrayed him. But there's a bigger narrative going on here. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 says, talking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. See, the truth is that we, are, we have all turned our backs on God. We have all rejected him. It's our inbuilt condition, something we can call sin. We reject God. See, the created have turned their backs on the creator. And this is why Jesus came. He came to give us some good parables and some good teachings. He came to do some amazing miracles to heal people. Yet he came to give, give us his life. None of us are perfect, yet he was. He lived the life that we couldn't live. See, the price for our rejection of God was death. That's serious. 
And yet because of Jesus' death, we can find life. We can find wholeness in him. See, Jesus came to bring us back to the Father, bring us back to God. And Jesus did not just stay dead. God raised them to life again. And we remember that Easter. But you know what? We remember that every Sunday. Hey, let's remember that every day. Wow, that Jesus is alive. And this is the heart of the gospel. And maybe today, I don't know you. And maybe today, you don't know God. But today, there's something in your heart drawing you to him. Maybe you don't have all the answers. That's okay. None of us have got all the answers. Why don't you choose to trust him today with your life? We so often want to make ourselves our own king. But today, hand over your life. Surrender all to him. Let him be your king today. It is the best decision you'll ever make. It will change your life and transform you in a way that you could not even imagine. And so, even in the hurt, the gospel gives us hope. Let's look back at the passage. John 13, verse 31 to 32. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son. He will do so at once. Jesus is speaking to his disciples about his imminent death and resurrection. You see, as Judas leaves the upper room, it starts a chain reaction. It starts a whole bunch of events that we remember at Easter, where Jesus is betrayed, he's handed over to the authorities, he's, he's crucified on a cross, and he's raised again. You see, the culmination of Easter, even though there was a betrayal at the start, it finishes with the resurrection. See, the disciples didn't see it at the time. They saw the hurt. They saw the, the pain. of the, the, There was confusion. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul wrote this. That sounds so flippant. All things. Seriously, Paul? How could you possibly imagine all things could work out for good? How could God possibly do that? It seems so impossible. God, Paul, you don't know my hurt. You don't know what I've gone through. Well, Paul was betrayed. He was shipwrecked. He was abused. He was abandoned by his friends. He was beaten and eventually he was martyred. Yet he could confidently say, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. See, when Judas betrayed Jesus, Satan thought he'd won. When Jesus was on the cross, Satan thought that he'd stopped God. When the stone was put in front of the garden tomb, Satan thought that he'd succeeded. That's not the end of the story. Satan thinks that he's got victory in your life. He'll try and convince you of that, but he is a liar. The war has been won. It's not even a competition anymore. There's no comparison. Jesus has risen. He is alive. He is on the throne today. And so when Judas betrayed Jesus, Satan rejoiced because he knew who Jesus is. And he knows who you are, child of God. 
He rejoices when you get knocked down. But that's not the end of the story. God's going to use it for good. He's going to bring light into darkness. He's going to bring hope into your heart again, where there is no hope. See, God is going to use what Satan intended to kill, destroy, steal in your life for your good, for the good of those around you. God's going to turn your defeats into stepping stones for his glory. Keep trusting, keep persevering, keep praying, keep worshiping, keep turning up, keep pressing on, keep giving. For God works out all things for the good of those who love him. Somebody say amen. Amen. Come on. I love verse 38 because I think I recognize myself so much in it. Verse 38 says, none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. The reality is, in the moment, we don't always know the how. How on earth could God work this out for good? But every battle you face is an invitation for you to trust God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. There's trust in the Lord with you all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. In everything, submit it to God. Bring it to him. We always have a choice. We either bring it to him or we hide away. Jesus was facing the betrayal of Judas, yet he was trusting the Father's plan and the Father's will in the face of it. The Last Supper was an end of an era for the disciples. But God was about to open up a brand new chapter, a fresh beginning for his people. He brings out good from all things. And you may not understand it this week. You may not even understand it this year. And the truth is, for some of us, we may never get the answers we so we so want, that we so crave. And that is really hard. But it's a call from God to trust him. We surrender our right to know. And as we surrender that right, that we need to know all the answers, we find strength in the surrender through the hope that we have in him. So church, we need to change our expectation. God's not into waste. He's not going to let the opportunity pass him by to turn something that was intended for evil into something good. One of um, pastors in America, a guy called Rick Warren, who leads Saddleback Church, uh, a few years ago he lost his son um, uh, to to mental health issues and battles that he had. Um, And it was a very public thing because Rick Warren is a you know, famous author and, and pastor in America. And so he was interviewed about, you know, how he was doing, how his family were coping and things like that. And one of the things he was talking about was, he asked, you know, why does God use me? And this was the answer, I am determined to expect God to use me. And what he was saying, that in everything, in the worst circumstances, losing his son, how could good come from that? He would say, I am expecting God to use me. 
I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know why. But I trust him. That God works out all things for the good of those who love him. So some of you may know a part of my story. So in the last sort of 10 years or so, I've been battling in and out of depression. Um, something that over the last year or so, I've been able to talk more about publicly and, and share with people. And what God, God's done through that has been amazing. It's been brought freedom for people to talk about it. That people know that they're not alone. It's brought healing to others. And maybe whatever you're going through, maybe God wants to do something in you, bring healing in you. And maybe he wants to do something through you. In hardship, we give God glory. And thanks that he will use whatever situation, he will bring out good from it. And so we can't collapse in self-pity. Give God the chaos. Because there is chaos in our lives, right? We can't deny that. But bring it to him. Bring the situations. Bring the hurt. Bring the people that have let you down. Bring them to God and leave them with him. Let it be his problem. Not yours, not mine. Eleanor Roosevelt famously quoted to have said, it's better to light a single candle than to curse the darkness. It is better to light a single candle than to curse the darkness. You don't always get to choose your circumstances. Stuff happens. But you do always get to choose your attitude towards it. And I choose to believe that the best is ahead. Only because of the hope we can have in Jesus, the gospel, that God works out all things for the good of those who love him, can we experience wholeness. Let's look at John 13 again. Verses 34 to 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Do you notice the timing of this? Judas has left when Jesus gives this new commandment to the disciples. Jesus knew that his disciples were about to work out that Judas has betrayed them. And what he's saying to them is, this doesn't mean that you do no longer love. This doesn't mean that you no longer trust people, that you treat others with suspicion all the time. Jesus is saying, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And this is the love that Jesus was speaking of. We read this passage so often in weddings, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. The truth is that God works out all things for the good of those who love him. It's that kind of love. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. This kind of love produces freedom. 
This kind of love produces love and acceptance, which is the opposite of rejection and betrayal. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The past is to be learned from, but not lived in. We give up our right to get our own back. We give up our right to be bitter and angry at people in the world. We give up our right to get even. We love because he has first loved us. We forgive because he has forgiven us. The answer that this world needs is love. This new commandment to love one another. And this is how we are to live in this world full of mistrust, this world full of suspicion, of looking out for one another, or for oneself, a world full of hurt. You're not going to find wholeness in your great behavior. How hard you try, in what job you have or what job you don't have, is only the hope that brings true wholeness, is only found in the love and grace of God. Our whole world is trying to fix our brokenness. Our whole world is looking for wholeness. We see that every day. You know, we probably know lots of people that go out on weekends, get smashed, get drunk. Why? Because they're looking for something to fill the void in them. We see people looking at porn and sleeping around because they're trying to fill the emptiness in them. Many people binge on Netflix and Facebook because it's so much easier to be distracted by our screens than to face our own insecurities. Our world is hurting and it's trying to get from hurt to wholeness without the hope. Our world needs the hope that we have in Jesus. That's where wholeness is found in our maker. True love loves someone, not as they are imagined to be, but as the person truly is, or the person truly is, that she is as well. This is Christ's love. This is true love. This is authentic love. This is what Edinburgh needs. So come, lay your troubles down at the foot of the cross. Bring it to Jesus. It's not worth holding on to. He's able to bring you to wholeness. You aren't able to live forgiving. You're not able to live loving unless you've been loved by him, by Jesus. Will you come to him? I want to finish by reading a story and then we're going to respond together in prayer. There's a lady called Corrie Ten Boom. Um, She was Dutch, living in Holland uh, with her family and her her sister Betsy. And during World War II, uh, what they would do with their family, they would hide uh, people who were Jewish. They'd hide them in their home and, and protect them from the regime that was going on around them. And so what happened was that they were, they were betrayed, they were caught. And so Corrie Ten Boom and her sister were sent to one of these concentration camps. And during this time, Betsy, her sister, died, but Corrie Ten Boom was released. And after the war, she'd often go back to Germany to, to speak on God's love and his forgiveness into a shattered nation. And one time she had gone to Germany to preach. She was in Munich. And this is one of her accounts of what her experience was. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. 
the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room in the processing centre at Ravensbrook, where they had been kept. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, he said. To think, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hands were thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to people of the need to forgive, kept my hands by my side. And even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. Through my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our own forgiveness any more than our own goodness that this world's healing hinges, but on his. And when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command itself, love itself. Let's pray together and respond. Father God, I thank you, Jesus, that you, Jesus, we remember Easter that you went to the cross. Lord, you were betrayed. Lord, your friends left you. And yet you chose to go to the cross. Lord, you chose to extend your love to mankind, mankind who had rejected the creator. And Lord, we want to respond in gratitude and thankfulness to you. Lord, many of us have been hurt. Some of us have been let down. Some of us have even been let down by people that are so close to us. Lord, you're calling us to let it go. To bring it to you, to let it be released from our hearts, God. And so, Father, move amongst us, God. We, we can't do this by ourselves. We need you. Holy Spirit, come and speak to each one of us just now. Come, Lord. Let's take a moment for every single one of us to respond to God. Pray back your prayer to him. Thank him for something. Or bring something to him. Allow him in. He knows your heart. Whatever it is, let him bring you from hurt to wholeness. And while everyone's praying back their prayers, perhaps today, you don't yet know Jesus. You've never entered into that relationship with him. You've never said yes to him. You've never put your whole trust in him. Or maybe you did so, so many years ago and today you need to come back to him. It is the place to find wholeness. And so if you're in that category, that you've never put your trust in him, or you're coming back to him for the first time, for in a long time, then I want to pray a prayer, and I invite you to come and join me in this prayer. 
I'm going to pray it one line at a time as you put your trust in him. So pray it with me while everyone else is praying. The dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you see me as I am. God, I'm sorry for doing things my way. Today I put my trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, you died and you're risen again. Today I put my whole life into your hands. Help me to live for you. From this day forward and every day. Amen.